HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on Tour, presented by Le Creuset. I'm Dana Cowan on Heritage. I have a show called Speaking Broadly. I love talking to broads, which is what I'm going to do today. Today we're broadcasting live from the HRN Podcast Lounge at Feast Portland. We want to thank our sponsors Le Creuset, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. My guest right now is Kelly Cox, who's accustomed to being on the other side of the microphone. That's very true. <laughs> she has a fantastic PBS show called The Original Fair. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. In this very crowded room. <laughs> with filled... <laughs> with, ble- with bleachers filled with people that we know and love. <laughs> So we're going to talk about uh, making TV, making food TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, when you think about your shows, how do you choose your topics? So um, I watched some, you interact with some salmon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched you go on a salmon journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched you go on a cheese journey. Every place that you went, I'm like, I want to be like in the boat or in the room, like eating those things. So you definitely got my jealous bones going, but how is it that you think about the shows? Um, you know, I try to, for me, the f- story is really where the food begins. It's less, I'm less interested in where the finished product, so where does salmon start? Who is harvesting it? Who's working it? How is the culture defined or not defined by it? And then how is it distributed and sent out into the world? Um, cheese makers, why are they making this Telegio and Val Telegio. Why is that cow there? And they're doing sheep down, you know, in Lombardy. So it's just trying to understand how things are set up and how food functions as a sole ingredient 
And then you kind of take a step back, a stiff drink, and think, oh, wow, the food world, like our food system is, I, I probably can't cuss, but pretty you can, effed you up. Can, it's pretty effed totally up. swear <laughs> as much as you want. Were you going to say yeah. it was fucked? Was it's that what fucked. Yeah. It is fucked. And you know what? The thing about it is it doesn't have to be. I think it, we, f- we fuck with it because we... We have so many secrets that don't need to be secrets. I think transparency is really important in the growth of our food system. Um, what do you think the secrets are that people are keeping that you're trying to expose? I mean, not that you're doing an expose, but yeah, what, are the, what are the secrets that you find compelling to Well, get I think there, there's sort of two different ways of looking at it. I mean, one, when I was up with the seal, commercial sealers in Newfoundland, they are an island. Now... They're importing 90% of their food, where seal is a staple of their culture. It is also, a, just like we coal deer in the fall, they coal sear seal. So, but people have this attitude because that freaking beetle, what's the beetle's name? Paul McCartney had to put a pretty seal on a bumper sticker and say, save the steals, even though he's never been to Newfoundland. He's never talked to the communities. And suddenly it crushed their society, it crushed their economy, and it crushed their culture. So my challenge was like, okay, you can pass judgment, but you can't really until you go and have a deeper understanding. So it's that, and then of course, there's a lot of bullshit out there about what is, what food is or isn't. You know, organ- I, was, I remember when organic started, and now I would never tell somebody to buy something just because it says organic. Why not? Well, I don't even know what that means anymore. You know, what does it mean? Who's producing it? The best way, if you really want to buy something, is to know your farmer or, or your rancher. That's really the best way to do it. So um, you're really a rabble rouser, aren't you? <laughs> I guess I am. I'm, like, getting all hot. I'm like, let me tell you this. <laughs> uh, it's audio, so you can't tell. She's stripping down. <laughs> She's getting ready. <laughs> She's getting her muscles up for a little punch out to the food system. So... Uh, but is your goal with this story is to try to change people's understanding of not just where their food comes from, but um, the ways in which they can make change for themselves? Yeah, I would, I would love for people to walk away and be more curious or more questioning. Um, I would love to promote culinary tourism, agritourism, and, and encourage folks to go out into the world and meet purveyors and ranchers and fishermen and sealers and have conversations I just I, I love to, to hope inspire that curiosity and yeah and if somebody can maybe think twice about where they spend their money that eventually will have an impact and have you seen like people wanting to become ranchers wanting to become sealers you know the pendulum always swings and I think we're in a very delicate place right now where those jobs are just so hard so hard so hard and it's cheese makers it doesn't matter what it is it's like young young people don't want to stay in the village to make cheese they want to go into the city instead and learn art or unfortunately they all want to make a fucking television show is what they want to do so I'm part of the problem too (laughs) But it is, like, even in South Carolina, the way that they harvested those oysters, and they're really, really good oysters, and the big old mud pluffs, the kids aren't into it, you know? Where I grew up in Missouri, 
it was an anomaly to see one of my friends go back and take over his family farm and try to really make it both a farm that had produce and protein and was treated as a destination to come to. So Missouri, what part of Missouri did you grow up in? I am from a tiny town of 200 Wow. on the Missouri River called Napoleon. Napoleon. Oh, yeah. Such good names. I know, right? <laughs> oh, yes. And um, is the way that you were brought up, did that have an influence on the way in which you see the food system at this minute? I think it did, but I don't think I realized it until later. And... When I was young, I ate Doritos, and that was my nutrition. And I didn't lo love living in the country. You know, Pizza Hut was a night out, baby. Um, but then as I grew and lived in New York and traveled, things started to expand. And, and then one day, as I started doing the show, and I was living in Brooklyn, and I think I'd gone to a feast, I realized, oh, everybody's talking about farm-to-table. Oh, but they're all very white, very wealthy, and have nothing to do with the actual farmers that I grew up with who lost the ability to farm their land for food because people didn't buy from them. So I think there's a little bit of a, a bitter, embittered energy there. Yeah, which can be incredibly motivating. Yeah. So how did you end up um, coming to the city, to New York City? I got kicked out of high school, and... I just left. <laughs> I said, why not? Pretty um, much it. I love, um, I love to know more. What did you do that got you kicked out of high school? Oh, many, many things. One of which was throwing a chair at the superintendent. I, I just did not like <laughs> people. You threw a chair. Okay. Well, we'll just pause on that. Um, what did he do? What did that, that guy do? Oh, you know... At some point, you kind of realize, maybe it's Missouri, I see, I see it all over, but, but there is a, a strive to be mediocre, and I just didn't really care to be around it. And I didn't feel like I should be punished because I didn't want to do the mediocre things. Uh, what was your parents' reaction to that? Uh, I think my mom started smoking. and. <laughs> <laughs> Did you skip college? I did a community college for about a year when I was 17. I was a really good student. I loved learning. Um, but then I had an opportunity to, to go to New York and start kind of hustling my way through the city and worked as a personal assistant for the city's nightclub impresario, and that's what I did. Which one? Mark Baker of Lotus. Wow. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, that's like, that's big time. Oh, yeah. Big time, big money. Big time, big money, a lot of secrets, a lot of dirty stuff there. Wow. <laughs> okay, so that was the beginning of your finding secrets and perhaps Take not right. taking them with you and not exposing them. Uh, the nightlife world and what you're doing now, what do they have in common? Oh, that's a good question. Probably just the production of it, right? An event production of making something, you know, having a deadline and having to build something and put it together. I felt like I really gravitated towards that. And then I started to leave that and go into the environmental world, and it was producing events. And then it became video content. So it just sort of flowed at some point. I mean, you, you seem sort of at the edge of every trend there is, right? Like, um, and night, I mean, except for getting kicked out of school. Yeah. Probably not a trend. <laughs> but, like, that big nightlife, which 
doesn't exist in the same no. way today as it did I when know. you were probably doing that. And then video, which was such a thing, which, you know, not really Mm-mm. doing that. But um, you've ended up with your own production company. Is that yeah. right? And uh, you've produced documentaries, like you've produced an entire range of work. Um, do you, it, between being on camera, which you are for your show, and being behind the scenes and planning the documentaries, like, do you have a preference? I would like to direct. I don't enjoy being on camera. It's my least favorite part of the job. And then why do you do it? I tried to do it with other people, actually. I had a bigger crew, I had two hosts, but I was getting frustrated because they'd talk with the fishermen in Montauk, and then two minutes later, look over at me and say, what else should I ask? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying to talk to them about like X, Y, and Z. Let's get on the boat. I want to go to work. You know, I just got really obsessed with, well, I'm just so passionate about it. So I just kind of got impatient and kicked my other folks out, made it really intimate. Um, because for me, I, I almost modeled it more after the Micro's Dirty Jobs program, where I wanted to actually do the labor to or, in order to understand what it was. Uh, so that part for me was great. And then... I did that for about a year. I started to get interest from agents, um, and I had a, a dear friend of mine who's a, a producer on Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. His agent called me, hey, you got a great show. I'm into this, but I gotta be honest with you, people don't wanna see a woman doing this. So my suggestion is- Wait, hold want- on a second. Um, people don't want to see a woman doing this. Okay. And um, it was a woman telling me this. No way. Yeah. Uh, so why was she saying that? I maybe it was a trend of the time. I think her suggestion was either replace me with a man or get a male co-host. And but what did the, you say to that? Did you throw, throw a chair at her? Yeah. <laughs> a luckily, that chair? was on the phone because yeah. I was like, yeah. Well, now I'm gonna have to stay on camera because not happening. And the idea was that the audience wouldn't find a woman's questions interesting or believable or... Yeah, maybe they didn't like the way my hair looked or that I don't wear makeup or... I, I, who could? It could be a dozen reasons why I'm not the right person for the show that I created, but, but bluntly, it was because I have breasts and a vagina. But what's really piss, pissed me off is that as the show grew, the audience is largely female. So I'm like, why wouldn't... We want to see other women doing this kind of stuff. I find it much more engaging and inspiring seeing a woman versus a man. Uh, agreed. And so how did you prove them wrong? Like, because Was it a question of um, they didn't feel like they could sell you to a network and that was the problem? And so did you sell the show yourself to, or you got a different... I just, I just kept it with PBS. Kept yeah. it with PBS. I have people come around with pipe dreams and I'm like, eh. Get out of here. <laughs> Everybody wants to talk game, but and not going to happen. So of the shows that you've created, which are your favorite shows? Of the episodes? Of the episodes, yeah. I did one this year. So my season six drops on October 8th, and I was in Vietnam earlier this year with Red Boat Fish Sauce and Chef Deep Tran out of Good Girl Dinette in Los Angeles. This was the first time Deep had been back to Vietnam since she was smuggled out of the country as a refugee during the war. And both Kung, who created Red Boat Fish Sauce, you know, he was also a war refugee. So to see it through her eyes was just an incredibly humbling 
experience. Um, yeah, the product is great. She was also passionately making arguments that can Asians be artisans? Have we been given that ability to have that art, art, artisanry name put around the products that we made? Because this thing in fish sauce done in Fuquok is very specific to that region. And she's, she's very fiery, as am I. And just to see how profound travel can be, uh, especially in a time that we're dealing with in our country right now, I, I, just, I had to sit for a while after and like really take time. And I spent a long time finishing that episode because I wanted to, to give them as much love and respect as I, I felt during that moment. What did you feel like the answer or her answer to the question of artisanal um, production was? I mean, I'm kind of with her. Uh, she and I argued, you know, about this, uh, not argued, but agreed that slow food did start in Europe. Olive oil, tomato, even though tomatoes aren't even from, you know, certain parts of Italy, they're from South America. But, you know, all this stuff, yeah, it did have more of a European flair. And she's ab absolutely right that there is an opportunity. It should be labeled as such. I saw slow food come out recently with, like, an Asia gathering of ingredients. Um, so hopefully people will start to treat it that way. I think it's a tough one for for Americans. You know, I hope I hope we get more accustomed to those flavors and excited about them and not shy away from fish sauce because it's pretty rad. Um, there's fantastic Asian food here in Portland. Oh, there is. <laughs> I think I may have been to a few places. <laughs> uh, what were their stories like? What was it like for them to go back and for you to witness them going back to Vietnam? I think changing, you know, the changing of the country, um, China's influence uh, certainly is taking a big effect. The city uh, really kind of developed overnight. Um, in Ho Chi Minh. So there was that, but then also little things like Deep, Deep would get excited if she saw a certain ingredient because it reminded her of something her grandmother made when she was little. Just going to the market alone with her and her partner, Tian, they were just like, oh my God, this is what all my grandparents were talking about when we were little and just getting excited and seeing all these things and pulling them out, tasting them and sharing them. I was like, this is the best. But is there, like, residual anger? Like, they, you know, it, they came under terrible circumstances. I was worried about that. And there wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. It's, it's surprisingly... I mean, I'm sure in pockets, where I was in the south and the island, there is a lot of um, happy, joyous attitude. Kind of like, hey, we finally got stability again, and we're just... We're, we're into it, we're joyous, and we're going to keep moving forward, which is a lot of countries I've seen that are just coming off a tail end of this shitstorm we're about to dive into, <laughs> which is another conversation, but yeah. Uh, are there things that you have in your sights that you are interested in pursuing next, like either... Um, oh, that book, that big, beautiful coffee table book that I've been dying to make that I've written four times? Yes. <laughs> that... Uh, any so publishers? What would, what, would that, what would that be, and um, why four times? Uh, I can't get it published. It's expensive. <laughs> um, it would be an, probably an exploration of location and ingredient, and then stories and recipes collected from people, not me. Essays and moments. Uh, I've wanted to do something. I've been working on a project about gender rights in the kitchen around the world because we take for granted that in some countries, women can't even be in the kitchen if they're menstruating. 
or if they are having if they are menstruating and they're going to their boyfriend's house they have to call his mom to get a special chair to sit in so there's still a lot of stuff out in this world that has to do with gender rights and food and those are kind of my my places and my mind is where my mind's been the last five or six years so I like to see maybe working more in that arena getting away off the camera a little bit and directing others I think that's really interesting because we are so gender focused in America right now. It's really an important and ever evolving conversation. But when you think about the limitations and the, you know, radically different and very challenging mindsets around the world, it's, um, you know, it's alarming. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, we're, we're not doing so great here. It's just, I, when I was, I toured my documentary on gender rights to Algeria, Zambia, Thailand, Peru, Haiti, and I was in these tiny communities with these young girls who I made the film for, so like middle school age. And they had the same issues that every, you know, every country is having these same issues, women specifically, right? Access to education based on their cultural barriers, access to tampons so they don't have to leave school um just it's 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 really fascinating and i think you know my last one was in zambia which was my favorite country ever and i came home and our election happened two days later so any optimism went like this and crashed into a bottle of whiskey for two years (laughs) from which you've emerged fully pickled and (laughs) and ready to go (laughs) Well, that's um, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much, yeah, Kelly. Thank it's you. really, really fun to talk to you. Um, thanks for listening, all of you, to Heritage Radio Network on Tour, presented by Le Creuset. Thanks again to our supporters, Le Creuset, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. I'm Dana Cowan, and stay tuned for more from Beast Portland. <laughs> This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>